This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 112 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss Stephen King's 2013 novel, Dr. Sleep. So, happy Halloween. I haven't talked to you in a little while, and I wanted to wish you and uh, all of our listeners the happiest of Halloweens. (laughs) Happy Halloween. I'm happy to be covering this around this time, and it just, everything just feels so right. And finally getting to Dr. Sleep, this is so much fun. And it's back to Stephen King. A uh, this is our fourth Stephen King project. Now we did. Uh, we started with it. Obviously, we did it. Chapter two, which I guess if you count as a separate, pro- you know, project, maybe five. Uh, we yeah. did The Shining, and then we did Pet Cemetery as well. So uh, we've done a lot of King. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and what's and the cra- the other crazy thing is that we have plenty more to cover. Like I'm constantly <laughs> like, oh man, that's a Stephen King project I want to watch, but can I watch it or are we going to cover it for the podcast? And not even just uh, old stuff. There's new ones coming. Uh, I think like The Outsider is coming soon. You know, like all this stuff is, is coming out and I think it's going to continue to come out at least for the immediate future. Uh, yeah, plenty of Stephen King we can cover. I, I always enjoy it, you know, and this yeah. is by far our newest book of his we've covered. And I was a little hesitant. Uh, not hesitant, I was a little... I was a little anxious coming into this because so I was worried because I feel like uh, I've heard some people say that they don't like his newer stuff, right? And so I was a little worried coming into this. I was like, I don't know. I'm worried it's not going to feel right or it, I'm gonna, it's going to be some glaring thing where I, the quality seems off or something. But I, I don't know about you. My experience was not that at all. I actually am really enjoying this novel. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. I, I was a little, a little, because I'm always wondering, like, when is it, when are we going to get to the Stephen King novel that I don't like? Yeah. You know, because he's just like he just hits them. He just hits them out of the park constantly. And yeah, so I'm, I'm we covered some big ones from him. And I was expecting, like you said, maybe maybe a step down in quality. But I, I was like, I'm all in on the story and I can't wait to see where it goes from here. Yeah, I mean, we haven't finished the book. I, uh, we it's probably in the title or something, but we're, we're only going to be covering the first half of Dr. Sleep here. We have not finished the novel yet, so maybe it all falls apart <laughs> by the end. I don't know. But um, so far, so good. Um, I know he has other books where he was maybe in a cocaine haze and and <laughs> they haven't held up as well over time, I've heard. Um, but I, we haven't covered any of those yet. Maybe we'll get to them eventually. Yeah. Um, I've seen Maximum Overdrive, so <laughs> I don't know. I know he can. I know he's, he's capable of some weird stuff. So. Yeah, and he's certainly got some bad adaptations. That we know for a fact. So you were just uh, dr- out of driving, flying, all over. You've been all over the place. Uh, y- y- and now you're down in Miami. You've just been uh, yeah. all over the map, man. I've been everywhere. Tons of road trips. It was like basically the three trips now, all stacked into each other. And I'm here in Miami for work. The craziest part about all of that 
is that I was listening to the audiobook for this because I was like, I needed to be efficient with my time. So mm-hmm. I'm driving along, seeing all these road, these like, uh, you know, truck stops and like rest stops and all of these things and, and reading at the same time about the true knot, which yeah. is a very big component of this. And I'm like seeing the people that Stephen King is very specifically describing. And I really feel like, honestly, it's a huge seed for the story. He must have been like just going all over the country. And he's like, these people, he's like, he's like, this would be interesting for a story. Yeah, you imagine so. Uh, that does bring up that I think uh, we're going to talk about this fairly spoiler-free as much as possible, maybe some light stuff like that, um, and then we'll move into spoilers. We'll give a clear warning, um, hopefully so that if you are just checking out this episode because you're, you want to know if the book's worth reading, like the new movie's coming out and you're curious about it, we're going to give you a taste of like what we feel about that uh, before we get into it. But you, you can you can know that you're safe. We're not going to be spoiling. Not only have we not read the end of the book, but we're not going to even be spoiling like everything we've read up to this point. Yeah, and just to just to talk to the magnitude and like the the shoes that this has to fill, like this is the sequel to The Shining. Yeah, it's a it's like the, going into that, it's like hallowed ground for me. I'm like, do we really want to rehash The Shining and do anything else with Danny? And like, I was always curious in my mind. I was always like, what what else could could be going on with Danny? But it seemed very. Um, I was a little scared, like you said. I'm yeah. a little anxious, like going into the story, and like uh, I'm enjoying it so far. Yeah. I, I'll be excited to see like how it all plays together, and you know, we've started to see some shinings, like some specifically Overlook stuff play a part here. But I, I'm going to see how how much Overlook stuff we get. Mm. Yeah, this uh, this novel came out 36 years after. Uh, 1977, The Shining, uh, which was Stephen King's third novel. We definitely talk about that at length in our Shining coverage. Um, we also do a little bit of a Stephen King bio, so we're not going to rehash that here. If you want to hear a, bit, a little bit of that, check out, I think it's like our 60th episode. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. It's it's huge shoes to fill. But, you know, on the other hand, like, unlike uh, an at a, a sequel to a film made by a different director 30 years later... This is still Stephen King, right? So to me, I'm not of the opinion that some people seem to have that like you should just leave things alone, never touch them. And then even to do it like King is doing here is somehow, uh, you know, messing with the purity of the original story. Like to me, the, the, the story still stands alone, untouched. And then, um, if you have the original author wanting to return to it, you know, I, I think that's fine. You know, I, I, what are your thoughts on that in general? And then and then maybe specifically for this project? I mean, I think it's cool. Um, at, at the end of the day, like, I, I don't think you make a sequel for the sake of making a sequel. Um, I think there is a little bit of that that goes on. And that's why people are wary of it. But at the same time, you can really if you have the story to tell, then tell the story. And I think there's a reason Stephen King hasn't had a lot of sequels to his novels, because it is it is kind of like leaving leaving an audience member with this entire story that you've told. And, and whether it's ambiguous or whatever it is, letting them think about it and, and like kind of having it live on in their minds on their own without you, you kind of saying exactly what happens. I think there's something to be said for that. But. If you have the story to tell and it's the original author, I think that like you, you're not in a better situation. You can't be in a better situation for a good story if they have something to tell after. And I think that that's really what this this story seems like it is. Yeah. And and it is so fascinating because Danny, to me, I, I had certain thoughts of what I thought Danny's future would be like after the Overlook. Um, and let's just say they weren't how this fucking book began. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... I like that this book isn't really a sequel. 
Um, it has the same character, you know, it has, it follows Danny Torrance and we do, it does fill in some of the gaps for what happened after the overlook overlook, but, um, it really feels like a, a completely different novel that just happens to have this character overlap. And I think that's why he called it Dr. Sleep and not like the shining two or something like that. You know what I mean? I mean, The Shining to you also sounds pretty cheesy. It sounds it sounds dumb. Yeah, I agree. Doctor Sleep, Doctor Sleep is is a really interesting title too. Yeah, um, which I think it's a bit of a spoiler to reveal what that means. If, I will say that like the the waves and that that The Shining created kind of still crash into the story. If you know what I mean, like like it, it's not just the characters. There's there there are things that are. I feel like there's something about the Overlook that's kind of looming over the story still. So sure. it does feel like a, a, a tr- it does feel like a sequel to me, but I, I know what you mean about it not feeling like rehashing anything or, or you know, like it, it's entirely different in its use of The Shining and tons of other stuff like that. So you're right, though. Uh, I'm thinking of like notes I took that actually kind of contradict what I just said because there are definite callbacks. There are definite even within the prose. Um, I noticed there were callbacks to things in the original book. Um, and, uh, you know, we see Danny struggling with personal demons. We see, uh, a lot of the stuff with the shining itself that is very reminiscent of the, of the first novel. So I don't know, maybe I'm contradicting myself there. So in that case, let's move on. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I guess I just wanted to know, so you, you're listening to this book, you're, you're, you're getting back to the shining, which is a beloved film we talked about in the film episode. Um, did you have any of the sense that you were coming in and desecrating some like sacred ground by revisiting this world. No, I really didn't. And and that's okay. kind of what I meant with, with the Danny stuff. I, I always was fat. Like, I think that of, of all the Stephen King stuff we've read, this is the, like, cause I feel like it, um, it, imagine it, if they didn't tell the adult story or something like if it right. wasn't like split together and it feels a little bit like that to me, it feels like a natural progression for the story to like kind of get into what Danny did because he is he, his power and like what you would be dealing with after the experiences he had in the shining. I think that those are ripe for a story there. Yeah. And you know, this, this novel is exploring a lot of the same themes. Um, I, the reason I keep harping on it is I think this is going to be a reaction that probably is exists for this book in general. And then also, I think we're going to get a lot of it with the movie. Regardless of how well it's received, I think there's going to be a contingent of people who who are just like, how dare they come, you know, how dare they do this to The Shining, which is this, you know, pure thing that cannot be touched. Um, so I, I'm just setting the stage for us to continue to talk about this, I think. Yeah, and I, I, there's, it's definitely going to be there, especially because of the differences between the two original pieces, right? So, like, right. with the book being so, I, I mean, and this is a spoiler if you haven't read The Shining, but I feel like if you're coming into this, you probably should have read or, or seen or watched The Shining. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, you know, at the end of the book, the sh- the Overlook burns. At the yeah. at the end of the movie, the Overlook freezes, basically. Yeah. So. I mean, they're, they're going to have to make a decision in this upcoming movie of which ending they're dealing with. They yeah, just have yeah. to. There's no way around that. It seems to me for early early indications from the trailers, unless I'm completely wrong, it's dream sequences or something, that they are going to be... Like, it seems to me that the movie's like more of a sequel to the movie and that the book is, is obviously more of a sequel to the book. But I, I will oh, really? be really curious to see how much that holds up because um, maybe that's not true. Maybe that's just trickery in the, in the, in the trailers or something. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, because it, it, the Flanagan has specifically said 
that it's a sequel to both and it's like all right you know, well both. you said it so so okay. <laughs> make make good on that promise i guess I, i'm excited I, I i do think it's going to be very very difficult to adapt this half of the story that we've read so far i just i was already like thinking about how tough that would be right so i thought i'd talk a little bit about some of the background for this novel before we get into the plot and the more spoiler section um but before we do that, actually, I was wondering, do you are you going to be dressing as anything for Halloween? Are you doing anything for Halloween? I I'm I, I definitely want to dress as something, but I'm kind of I'm kind of uh, slacking in that department. I haven't I haven't decided yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's only a few days away, but this episode comes out on on Halloween. So, right. You don't have a lot of time. <laughs> I sent I think I sent you a picture. I just went to a party recently. I'm going to another one on Halloween night uh, dressed as Mr. Jack Torrance himself. <laughs> so I, yeah, I had to cool. mention that on the episode maybe i'll post a picture of it online it's not like the greatest costume ever but um you know i, I was trying to at least evoke a jack torrance look uh, just at least fun. at least t- tell me that you were you were off like staring out a window with your hair all disheveled and just like kind of with your chin down <laughs> just staring <laughs> just standing in front of a lit fireplace into yeah. the distance thousand yard stare yeah uh for sure. And, and you know, par- the fact that I'm dressing up as like a deranged writer who's about to commit to NaNoWriMo uh, for the next month is, you know, that probably says something. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, I like it. It works. Yeah, I mean, that's an easy way to get 50,000 words, you know, just repeat the same sentence over and over again. Yeah. If, if all else fails, I'll do that. I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so some background on this. There's not much, um, but I, I saw that essentially King was weighing... Um, a couple different ideas he had, and he he had had some ideas for for Danny, but he he said that he likes to wait until like a second idea for a book that he finds that fits comes along to him, and the one that he found is maybe a light spoiler, but I'm gonna give it here just because it is it is a story seed, and that is he thought uh or he learned about uh, this cat, and the cat's name is Oscar. This is a real cat who uh, is at a uh, hospice in, um, I believe, Rhode Island that was reported to go around and curl up next to people right before they die. And it became this this phenomenon that when it has been ongoing, documented up to a hundred times that this cat has gone and curled up next to terminally ill patients within two hours of them dying. Um, Mm. So that cat is in this book. Essentially, it's named Azriel or something. And... um, that idea of the cat connected with his idea of Danny is what told him that he had enough to start writing this book. And I'm assuming I'm assuming during that process, he was also in an RV or something <laughs> and realized all these people. No, but I want to I want to talk about the, the cat thing, because did you know I about that? Like Do you know that was a real thing? No, no, no. I didn't know it was a real thing. But but I, ha- you know, I've heard the stories of, of like dogs being able to sniff cancer on people and like people having right. heart attacks. Well, that's like definitely that. a so, real thing, too. Right. So that doesn't that doesn't really surprise me, though, either. Right. So it doesn't yeah. really seem like it's like this cat who has some magical power. But it's just this one cat is the right. thing, though. This, is, this hasn't been apparently this isn't like a widely reported thing because there are other places that have cats that don't do this. But there's just this right. one cat named Oscar that apparently loves to do it. And he uh, they're saying he's actually not very friendly. He doesn't like people. And so he won't come and like lay next to you unless you're dying. Wow. All right. Well, that changes things, I guess. I, I was thinking he was just like a friend, an emp- empathetic cat who who knew people were dying. No, he doesn't like people apparently that much. I mean, he's not. He doesn't hate people, but from what, from what I was reading, is it's like he's kind of standoffish and stuff. And uh, 
but it's the the specifically this hospice is for people with really um, terminal cases of dementia. So oh. um, it's they're they generally aren't even aware. So it's not like he shows up and then they get frightened because they know what that means. I was gonna say that's pretty fucking terrifying too. Right? You could see that would be scary, but but um, the guy was saying that like usually at that point they don't even know, uh, other than they're just being comforted by the fact that a cat is there. So I don't know. See, it's a cool story. It's kind of that like borderline supernatural stuff that King likes to play with, right? Because that's like a real world thing, and he's taking that and putting it into this book that has all sorts of supernatural in it, and um, he just does that so well, right? Like connecting little things to like. And the way The Shining works in particular, that power is connecting to like little premonitions that people have. He talks about like uh, knowing the phone's going to ring is, is one of the things that is like evidence of The Shining. And like I feel like all of us have had a sense of that like we th- we knew that that was going to happen. Um, and it's probably like a deja vu trick of the mind. But he's able to play in that gray area a little bit to create a sense of like maybe this is real. Maybe this could be real. Right. I like that it could also like like it could just be people who it's kind of like the, anybody who, who who can pick up vibes or like is it really lucky or something like that yeah like people that we know that we're like that person's so lucky and you're like maybe they're shining maybe it's some <laughs> yeah. sort of like a right you can predict where the pitch is gonna what, what pitch is gonna be thrown and stuff like that right. yeah yeah make you really good batter that's true yeah i mean i just love the way he does that so so a little bit more about this book uh he put up a poll on his website in 2009 um, asking if fans would rather him he write the next Do- Dark Tower novel or a sequel to The Shining. And apparently, Dr. Sleep won out on the poll by like 10 votes or something. Like, it was incredibly close. Um, I think he did go wow. on to write both novels eventually, but um, I thought it was interesting they put that up on his website as a, as a vote. That's kind of fun. So, so my question is, it, it, how many... Se- I, I felt like he hadn't really done any sequels, but you bring up The Dark Tower, and I guess, are pe- do people consider The Dark Tower series to be sequels to, well, you know, it's, I, I feel like a sequel is not the same as like a series of novels, Yeah, yeah, right? I say they're a series, I guess that's a little different. Um, yeah, I don't know, he hasn't done Cujo 2, and he hasn't done, you know, like, so I, I think you're probably accurate in that sense, but I'm also not like super well versed in his entire, you know, oeuvre, so I don't know what all he's done, and, and maybe he there is a couple other sneaky sequels in there that i don't know about if it's anyone knows actually write in and let us know um if he's done any other sequels like this um, i know that a lot of his works are interconnected and they'll reference characters and stuff and reference events from other books and that's I, i'm definitely going to want to talk about this a little bit more in the in the movies episode but like it seems like all anybody who's directing a stephen king adaptation at this point is like kind of leaning into that right there it seems to me that like everything's being lean like it and and dr sleep and some other stuff here and there are are coming out so close together that i think it's just like this perfect time for all of his stuff to start spider webbing together and i know i mentioned recently i think it was in it chapter two the movie uh the coverage how like if they did it well, I would be into it. But like, I was kind of skeptical. The more I think about it, the more I feel like it's gonna happen. And like, I'm, I'm, I, it's just exciting. It's fun. You're talking about like the the Scoo, the the SK universe we talked about. Right. <laughs> I think it's gonna be. I think it's coming no matter what. But I don't think it's as as organized as something as like something like the MCU. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see the SKU Scoo. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Great, great name. Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of is a thing already, so they it would be easy enough for them to do. So I, I have a couple general things I want to get out before we get into the spoilers. And and I, I've alluded to some of this already, but I was impressed with the skill that's on display here. I mean, obviously, Stephen King's an incredibly talented writer. 
incredibly skilled. His 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 craft has been perfected, and um, to me, that's on display in this novel. Um, I thought he was masterfully setting up multiple narratives, building tension, um, hooking you repeatedly with different you know different events. Um, just all the you know the powers of a story uh, master storyteller on display, and I don't know it was really impressive to me, and it, and I was glad to see that it doesn't seem to me like he has you know he's lost a step here with this novel. Like you said before, he really keys in on certain specific things that people can identify with, and I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that like um, AA is a is a large part of this, and I think that yeah. like just in in the way that he weaves something like that 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 is kind of alcoholics a part of, anonymous like everybody everybody knows somebody in aa or like maybe somebody's been to aa that kind of like everybody knows that it's so present um and the way that he like i don't know if he's been to aa or what but like the way that he weaves it in the story i find to be so it just seems so true right he just under- I, I think he probably has <laughs> just knowing his background and struggles with addiction um at the very least he would know a lot about it whether or not he actually attended meetings i don't know right and, and i just think that he the, he's just great at at threading something like that into the story and then making it really true and believable. Yeah, and I thought, uh, in particular, the opening of this book, um, he nailed. And and I found, I think it was by about page 40 or 50, um, which are such crucial pages to any novel. Um, I felt fully invested and just, I don't know, there's just something familiar about his writing. There's something so inviting um, about it in a way that it is both incredibly smart but unpretentious. Um, and, and people often describe him as like a blue collar type writer, which is funny because he's obviously extremely wealthy now, but he has that blue collar background and his writer writing is often about blue collar characters. And that holds true here. And, um, in a way he, he, he is still doing that thing where he's talking about like the really dirty, grimier parts of life, like the darkness and humanity, um, but in a way I feel like he's, he's doing it better than ever now. He's, he's, he's dancing that line, um, really masterfully and, and still going there and going for really intense scenes and troubling material without maybe being as offensive to our modern sensibilities as going back and reading some of his stuff from the, say, the 80s might be. Yeah, the way he develops a character I find to be really fascinating because he, I don't I, like most of the time you don't, necessarily like his characters or or at least they do things that you don't agree with and i think that he uses that in such a smart way because that's ultimately like what sells you on a story right like you want the characters it doesn't really matter what else goes on you need to be invested in the characters whether you like them or not and he just always makes it so that you're like why is this person doing this but it's still you know you might not agree with it but it's still captivating and it's still it, it still makes you want to continue the book and that's something i wanted to say is just like while i'm reading a stephen king book i'm always thinking to myself like god damn he's so good at this i need to read all of his books and like i'm glad this this podcast has basically been an excuse for us (laughs) to read all of his books well i mean he's written a lot of them so (laughs) i wouldn't go that far we've read four or five out of you know 60 or something plus published novels he has now and new ones all the time um but it, I mean, I agree with you. I think I think one of the things that really makes him stand apart from most um, horror writers at the time, and this is something that other people have said, and it's not just me, um, is his character work. Like this is these are horror stories with incredibly detailed, rich character studies at the same time at the heart of these uh, these books. And I think that changed horror for the better, and that a lot of people read that and th- and thought, oh, it's possible to do this, and not only possible, but there is a massive audience 
for people out there who want smart, character-driven horror stories. And in general, I think that's what Stephen King does. So I did have one other general uh, observation that I wanted to throw at you and see what you think. Um, And I haven't read a lot of the reviews for this or anything because I didn't want to be swayed, but I suspect this is probably a criticism some people have. This book feels more like a dark fantasy to me than a true horror novel. Um, In a sense that I don't think that if you're looking to be as frightened as you were with The Shining, that you might be disappointed in the sense that maybe this isn't as frightening a novel. Not to say it doesn't have moments, um, and not to say that it's not horror, because I think horror is actually a much broader genre than people give it credit for. Um, So I've actually seen this described as a dark fantasy horror, which I I can get behind that if you want to blend those together. But um, I can see it maybe frustrating people who wanted more of a pure horror experience that maybe they think of The Shining as, as giving them and uh, it, we can get into some of the reasons why when we get into the non-spoiler section or into the spoiler section. But but in general, do you do you agree with that or do you, did you find this novel just as frightening as, as The Shining in general or had so far? I well, well, I'm not really. Sh- this is my thing right now. I, I'm I'm assuming that it's going to go there is the only thing I'm assuming that it's going to get to that to that point. OK, um, I'm not really sure. It sounds like it might not. It sounds like it might be more about, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Like, like I said, this is not based off of reading reviews. It's just something I suspect. That's like early on for me. I'm like, I th- I don't know. I feel like uh, how scary the book is, is a big topic among Stephen King fans. Um, right. Because if you're, a tr- if you're a horror fan and that's like your main genre and you don't read much else, often the fear factor is going to be a big portion of like how you feel about a, a book, right? Like how scary is it? So I guess I would be interested to know how, because I feel like a lot of, like like every every novel, I guess we are halfway through this, but every novel is going to have a certain amount of setup before they start scaring you off the bat, I would say. Right. Um, so I just would be interested to see mm-hmm. like how far into The Shining before we got our first. Some stuff probably scares you right off the bat, though. <laughs> I, I'm sure. I, you know, yeah, I, I don't want to. I I don't know that all novels do that. Some novels do, but um. But like just just in terms of like uh, I don't know Stephen King's other novels. I I'm, I feel like he does have a significant amount of setup usually, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, this is going to be. I guess we just track it from here because it does seem like so far we've had things that are frightening, but we haven't had any like straight horror. Like you're like in in the way that you're saying. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just something interesting to kind of touch on as we go. I don't think it's a problem. We talked about this in our Pet Cemetery coverage um, a little bit. We touched on it, and even Stephen King has said that he considers the like fear bone to be like the funny bone, and like different people find different things funny, and different people find different things scary. So it's going to be hard to get two people to agree on like how scary something is. Yeah, and so like- he calls Pet Cemetery his most frightening novel. Yet a lot of people read it having heard that. And then we'll 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 feel the need to say like that wasn't scary at all. I don't get why people would say this was scary. And yeah. and, and it's speaking to that exact phenomenon, right? And, and I think that that's obviously true. I think that everybody's everything hits everybody differently. But I think the main thing is like uh, I, I see I see the things that I'm scared of as more of the things that make me think later on. And I think I probably have said this before, but but like the things that will keep me remembering how horrifying something was rather than like how whether how, how far it'll go in terms of gore in terms of like how crazy something is what really what really like to me signifies a good horror story is like if when when all the lights are off and you're walking through your house what are you thinking about 
you know what I mean? Like what's right. the, what's the worst situation or what, what, what like is the thing that stuck with you? And I think that the, those are the things that are normally what, cause I can appreciate, even if it's not something that's like actively shocking me, I can appreciate it as when I'm reading it as something that will eventually pop back up in my brain when you're, you know, maybe vulnerable or something. <laughs> well, we got to get into some specifics here now, I think, so we can we can we can really start to pin down some of these ideas. So I have a summary here that is is a little more overviewish than we've done in the past. We're not going to be zooming in on every chapter um, as nitty gritty as we have done in the past. Um, it's essentially going to leave us uh, more ability to be nimble and kind of like jump in and out, and talk about the scenes that are in- interest us. Um, but we'll still give the listener a, a good overview of, of what's gone on so far in the novel. So I'm going to divide it into three chunks. Let me read the first chunk now. So, following the events of The Shining, after receiving a settlement from the owners of the Overlook Hotel, Danny Torrance remains psychologically traumatized as his mother, Wendy, slowly recovers from her injuries. Angry ghosts from the Overlook, including the woman from room 217, still wants to find Danny and eventually consume his phenomenal shining power. Dick Halloran, the Overlook's chef, teaches Danny to create lockboxes in his mind to contain the ghosts, including that of former Overlook owner Horace DeWint. So I think we just stop here because even though this is like a fairly short section in the beginning, I think it's it's very important because it connects uh, it connects the two books together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in some surprising ways. Uh, what what was your reaction to to learning about what happened to Danny after the Overlook? So this. I think very early on, and smartly so, I think Stephen King makes it clear that we, even after even after all the events of The Shining, we don't understand The Shine at all. We have no idea what is capable of, what, what the, having The Shining actually means, what powers, what you can do. And um, I think this was, I, I think this is the, this is a good midpoint, right? Like it's, it feels very much like The Shining, but it's also signifying that there's going to be differences. Um, like it's connective tissue between the two. Exactly. And I think it's actually yeah. called that because it's not even in, in the first chapter. It's like... Uh, it's the it's technically probably the prologue to the book. Or to the like novel. a preface or something. I would call yeah. it that. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed it though. Like, I, I mean, it was great to see Halloran again. It was, uh, you know, the stories... Were you that surprised how little Wendy Torrance we get? Yeah, yeah. I would say that I was because I... Because she was a major character in the novel. I will say sure. that like while I was reading this part, I wasn't surprised because I assumed we were going to get more before we just jumped straight to him being a full adult. I thought we would see more of Wendy for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And now that you say that, it kind of makes me hope that there's more Wendy in some capacity going forward. Uh, yeah. But we I, might I, get some more flashbacks or something. Yeah, that's possible. Right. I was surprised to see Overlook Ghost though, because I I didn't know. I kind of felt like they were they were specifically tied to that location to the Overlook right. Hotel. So seeing yeah, them, it's show very up, interesting that they aren't. And I still don't know that we've really gotten any sort of answer as to how that happened. I know that they're preying on his on a shine, but what like how are they able to still exist out there? Yeah, because I think a lot of people would say that the. Uh, you know, ghosts are tied to locations in a lot of Stephen King's work, but here we see them haunting Danny. It seems like they followed him, um, and specifically the one, the woman from room two seventeen. We get a really evocative scene in the in the bathroom again, and um, it was very reminiscent of the scene that that you know the iconic scene that I think we we kind of. Uh, reveled about in the in the in the shining right with the the bathroom scene and then even with the closing of the door and then him putting his ear to it and then the hearing the nails 
um, which is very similar to like the peering through the keyhole stuff that we that we talked about. Um, very cool, very reminiscent, and like I said, I think kind of a um, callback to that first novel, right? Like to to create that connection, right? And and I, just to talk about something else, another little detail the the like skin particles, the decaying that was left behind, and everything really yeah, gives weight cool, to it because right? Wendy found that. And so that yeah, means that manifest, like, it's, not, it's manifesting. I think even like Dick Halloran sees it when he comes by. Right. So it's, it's like not just like there. something that Danny can see because of the shine. Like this is they're affecting the real world. Um, which, yeah, I mean, and, and that shows how powerful some of these, you know, spirits are. I think it's also interesting here um, in just reading that little description and thinking about it. Um, these ghosts are coming after Danny um, because they want to potentially feed on his shine. And, that mimics what we are, we're going to get into with the true knot later, which we haven't talked about yet. Speaking of returning characters, we also see Dick Halloran here. He comes, talks with Danny. He's mentoring him again, um, gives him the advice that he he is going to eventually need to pass on this knowledge as well to someone in the future, setting up things that are going to happen later in the book. And then he teaches him this trick about creating lockboxes in his mind that he's able to trap ghosts in you know like ghostbusters right right like he's trapping them in his mind and locking them away and um we haven't got there yet so this is not a spoiler but as soon as i found out about this mechanic of him locking up ghosts in his mind i was like at some point all these ghosts are getting loose right yeah for sure and it's and I, I felt like that's where the story was going so you can understand my surprise when it wasn't about danny torrance the ghostbuster just like putting all the ghosts <laughs> in boxes. It was, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, the ghosts are getting out. And then I'm all, it also made me think like, is he going to have to lock up his dad? Is There's going to be some dad stuff that goes on, I think. Yeah. And we haven't gotten any of that yet, but I am so interested for a Jack Torrance return mm-hmm. in ghost form. Um, right. Oh, I don't even know if we will, but maybe, I don't know, you know, that's getting, it's getting ahead of ourselves, but maybe, maybe that's, that's going to be more tied to location. Because there's so much, that's there's so much more going on. It doesn't even seem like he'd have the time to get back and make it, make it about that stuff. Right. And, and it, it reminds me how I love the way that like abuse and trauma and cycles of violence manifest themselves in Stephen King's novels um, alongside the supernatural but yet are just as if not more powerful in the in the in the characters lives. Right. And so we see that even though we haven't seen the ghost of Jack Torrance, the 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 events of the overlook and the effect of having the abuse and the nearly being killed by his father that affects Danny Torrance in a negative way for the rest of his life. And it's tragic actually as we follow him um, as he's getting older, which we'll get into next, um, how much that that puts him on down a really dark path. Right, and and I, that's where that's, I I think we should probably just jump into that because that's where I was yeah. kind of talking about before. With I, I didn't see this side. I I didn't see Danny having to go through the same stuff because I thought that as a reaction to the stuff that happened, he would never do any of this kind of thing. Um, but like we've talked about, even The Shining was about cycles of violence, and then it, the cycle yep. of violence continues in the cycle of because well, Jack Torrance's father abused him too, right? And, and so, then he ne- he didn't want to be like his father, but then mm-hmm. he ended up becoming like him. Yep. And and we see that happening here again too. So let's get into it. As an adult, Danny, now going by Dan, takes up his father's legacy of anger and alcoholism. Dan spends years drifting across the United States but he eventually makes his way to New Hampshire and decides to give up drinking. I actually want to stop here because we're about to get into the next phase 
Um, but I want to I want to focus on this dark period for him um, because I think it's really important for the character because like you're talking about it's to me this is where he says this is not Danny Torrance the child this is an adult with baggage who has made mistakes and we see those mistakes in a very uh striking scene early on yeah I just uh, like I always had a like an image of what Danny what Danny's life looked like and I kind of I felt like after the overlook he'd been put through it like the world had put him through it and from here he would use you know he has this gift these powers like maybe you know maybe he'd still be using them and things like that but but he would like he would be leading a a really like like a great life i i just assumed because you're like you like to think like somebody goes through something like this and then and then you know they have the happy ending so for danny to like be fully exactly like his father was and and going to the extremes of like he's basically just like on the streets as an alcoholic and he's like He's stealing from people and doing whatever he can. Um, Getting in bar fights. Yeah, and it's just debilitating to him to the point that, like, I don't he even He doesn't think seem as, abuse, as abusive as Jack Torrance. I think he's worried that he has it in him. Right. But I haven't seen, we haven't seen evidence of him being as directly abusive as, as Jack Torrance was. Right. And he's, it's something that he's dealing with, but the alcoholism is there. Like, he's, he, he. Oh, absolutely. Like, even Jack Torrance was an alcoholic, but he, he didn't it didn't debilitate his life to the point that he wasn't like still able to hold a job and still able to do all these things. Uh, yeah. We're seeing like a, we're seeing Danny deal with it. And I, I think it's really interesting to put, to pose it as a, as a, as a coping mechanism for the shine. Cause he couldn't handle all yeah. of the radio is the radio on his head, just constant. And he's yeah. just picking up everything, but the, but the alcohol dampens it. And I think that was a great idea. Absolutely. And, and I just want to touch again on, I think the addiction stuff is some of the most compelling parts of this novel because it's clearly coming from someone who's dealt with these sorts of demons in their life. Um, It just feels very authentic to me. And he does a great job of showing the mind of an addict, showing the call of, you know, uh, alcohol and drugs and, like, the escape it can provide and the the shame and... um, associated with knowing that you shouldn't be doing something yet you're doing it anyway and uh it's something that's weak I, I feel like anybody who's dealt with any sort of addiction on any level can identify with or, or even just knows somebody who has you can see this right and you can sympathize and i think it's all really br- brilliantly done and i think some of the best stuff uh throughout this this whole part is is the way he struggles uh, with his addiction we got to talk about this the the rock bottom scene because uh, essentially he, when we first are meeting Dan as an adult, he's waking up next to a woman that he's blacked out with, had sex with, and he's with her in her place. Um, he wakes up, his money's missing, and he decides that he, that she, he thinks that he must have given her money for some reason, but even he knows that that's a lie. Um, he doesn't know where his money went, which is still a bit of a mystery what happened, but maybe, you know, maybe he just went somewhere. Well, no, we, but, we um, know that he, uh, they blew it on Coke. Like he, Oh, with, is that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They, Cause they bought, they bought drugs. Right. And, yeah. and so there's Coke on the table. He walks down, he sees like lines of Coke, cocaine on the table. And, uh, and then in the truly heartbreaking scene, we see that this child comes out who, uh, calls it candy, canny. He says in a very, you know, child voice. And uh, we learn that Dan leaves leaves them both, 
um, steals the money and, uh, you know, just leaves them to, to their own devices. And uh, that haunts him. And, and, and I immediately identified because he says the way it says canny and mama. I was like, these are going to be the things that we've talked about. Like Stephen King loves to have these little phrases he's going to repeat throughout the book. Mm-hmm. And they become like musical notes that you return to or something like there's there's a certain rhythm to it and sure enough these become the like haunting things that signify that he he is remembering this this low point in his life and Um, yeah and danny also um realizes this this kid is being abused and he like shines a little bit with the kid and realizes that it's the it's like the, the kid's uncle and like he he takes money and it just it's it's doesn't end up doing anything yeah he yeah. doesn't do anything about it and like he's been abused um as we saw in in the shining and- yeah and um this is the stuff that is frightening to me um this is scary stuff right and because it's very real and um i don't know that's like I, when we're talking about different things fi- frighten people different ways obviously it's not creepy in the like supernatural sense but it's frightening to me because it's dark and it's and it's very human and it shows uh, Danny as being not uh, this perfect exemplar, like you said. And it, it, obviously, I think it makes for a compelling character. And um, this is a moment that he spends the next ten years trying to trying to co- like recover from. I so actually, let's get into this w- next next part of his life here. Well, I really quickly, I just wanted to say I thought that I kind of so. Stephen King took me on a roller coaster because we started with like young Danny and I thought we might see some more of him growing up. And then we saw mm-hmm. rock bottom Danny. And, and then I kind of felt like we were going to get a story about someone who is like homeless and like having to deal with these issues. And that was going to be the whole story. And then it's like, that was to set up what we're getting into now, which is like, um, you know, someone who's been through it. And he really took his time to to show that to us. And I, I think I appreciate that for, for really building the character. Because if it had been... It's it cool because you don't really know where he's going with it, right? Like right. You think you're going this way and he faints and he goes this other way. Right. And because it's like you could have... Like, he could have just said, like, Danny is now, you know, 30 and he's gone through AA. And he's like, he's been sober for 10 years now. But, like, seeing the baggage and seeing Rock Bottom, I think, like, obviously makes this story so far. Well, and it's going to become very important, I think, for why he feels called to help Abra out, which we'll we'll get into. Um, so let me read the next part of this, uh, this summary here. Dan settles in the small town of Fraser, working first at a tourist attraction and then at a hospice and attending Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. His psychic abilities, long suppressed by his drinking, reemerge and allow him to provide comfort to dying patients, aided by a cat, Azzy, or Azriel, I think, uh, that can sense when someone is about to die, Dan acquires the nickname Dr. Sleep. And there you go, the name of the book. Um, I I don't know, were you surprised to learn that, that Dan, Danny Torrance is Dr. Sleep? <clears throat> Sorry, my voice cracking a little bit. Both of us are a little under the weather if you haven't already, if you couldn't already tell. Uh, I, I mean, I think I was I was surprised in a way, but I I think it's more that I I kind of assumed that Danny would be some way Doctor Sleep, but I kind of I, I thought it was going to be something to do with him sleeping and him using his abilities to do something. But I, I never could have predicted that Danny would be like helping people die, and that he would be using yeah. the shine to like help them. I don't know. Yeah, and I I, lo- I love the idea that um his sponsor brings up that this is potentially a penance that he is he's doing to try and atone for his his darkest moment, which as at the point of where we're at with the book, he hasn't actually shared with his with his sponsor yet. Who by the way, I love. A great character. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, Stephen King loves to set up these locations, right? These like, uh, you know, not very exciting towns, but they're like quaint yeah. and nice. And I think and it's funny that it's New Hampshire. So it's like right by Maine, but not quite Maine. Right. Well, I think he was like, all right, I've had 55 of my 60 something <laughs> stories in Maine. So, but no, I, I mean, don't even know if that's true, but he's definitely had a lot. In Maine. I, I'm kidding. But it, it, like he clearly loves that area. And uh, yeah, but he loves these, he loves very these, similar. He loves these small towns and it just makes these small towns make these like supernatural stories feel so much bigger. I feel like because it's like, mm. you know, it's, if it's in like New York City or something and there's these things happening, you'd be like, well, there's so much going on in New York City. It doesn't matter. Just wait until we get to the stand. OK, well, there you go. Oh, man, I'm so excited to read that book with you. Yeah. OK, anyway, I sorry. just I just used, I just used <laughs> one of my audible credits recently for the stand and I, I saw that it's like 47 hours and I was like, God, I can't wait to dig into that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's going to be a massive project. Yeah. I'm hoping we get to cover it. I know it's going to be a TV show and stuff, too. So we're going to have to figure out a way to do it. But anyway, that's a problem for down the road. Uh, <laughs> for now, at least this this novel is not quite as massive as some of his others. Um, but yeah, so I, I just want to talk more about that he has almost this supernatural, he's kind of this like um, benevolent figure, but I love that he's on the edge. He's, we can tell he's at the front. He's at the very, he's like a one misstep away from going right back to the bottle. And in that sense, he is very like his father, but I think in a way he is showing more strength than I ever really got from Jack. Like Jack was maybe even in some ways more tortured and more weak when it comes to giving in to some of this stuff, then then now obviously he was pushed by the overlook and maybe Danny's strength is that he has the shining in himself. So he's maybe got more weapons to combat it. But um, I don't know. I, I, they are different characters. He is not, while he worries, I think he's becoming his father. I think he's still very different than him. I think because of, uh, I mean, I think I think Jack Torrance was aware of the abuse that he went through and like maybe that was part of the reason why he had so much anger and he was, you know, he couldn't cope with it with alcohol. But but he Danny seems to be a better person. Like I think Danny, yeah. although has clearly done awful things and clearly went to an awful place, uh, Danny does seem like a seem like a genuinely good person. Like he seems like he's always you know, and I think it is probably based on the fact that like he's an empath, right? Like he's here, yeah. he can hear what any, everybody's saying constantly using the shining. Uh, and then on top of that, he, he's, I think, I think although he, he kind of leaned into the stuff that his dad did, I think he is a reaction to it. And he's like constantly trying to not be that. And I didn't get yeah. that quite as much. It, there's from a lot Torrance. of similarities though, because I was thinking about how, do you remember how the, the moment for Jack, the rock bottom moment for Jack was when he broke Danny's arm? Yeah. And and he would constantly come back to that moment. But there was a lot of he had a lot of like weird denial around it too where he he had a lot of rage about like how Wendy was never going to let him live it down. Um but what it was a kind of a reaction to the fact that he knew it was this worst unforgivable moment that he that he had. And so I think it's really interesting to give Danny uh Danny here a, a similar moment. It's not his own child. But um, we do learn later that the child was killed um, through the abuse, it seems like. He learns it through The Shining and a vision where he sees uh, the woman he was with talking to him. And she's dead as well, and he uh, is able to intuit that she killed herself. So he's left bodies in his wake. And so his dark moment is very dark as well. And and in some ways, he feels like 
he is unforgivable in the same way that Jack Torrance did. Yeah. So, I mean, it's good because it's like it's making him face some of the same demons, right? Personal demons that, that Jack did. And, and and it'll be really interesting to see the different ways he deals with them. And I think uh, the effect of Dick Halloran is the key difference here. He had a mentor figure that was able to show him a different way. And it seems to me like that effect of Dick and then and then now this sponsor, again, he has kind of another mentor that he's reaching out to. And these effects on his life like, help him in a way that it felt like Jack maybe was too prideful to where he never really let anyone help him in that way. Well, maybe it's also like a statement on the isolation that 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 Jack was dealing with in the Overlook. Like, so this yeah. sort of like no one was there to help him. Uh, yeah. And, and like Danny Whereas Danny's very connected. To, yeah. And, and I will say the other thing is, is um, I think the biggest thing for Danny, although he has made it 10 years up to this point, the biggest thing for him, I think, is going to be realizing that like Abra, we'll get into Abra in a second, but Abra's here and like she's going to be need mentoring as well. So he needs to become Dick yeah. Um And I think that that more than anything is going to make him not drink and not do everything else and be a better person. Although we'll see, because um, I suspect that in the way that this book is mirroring the first book in a lot of ways, um, we haven't got there yet, but I suspect that this is leading leading Danny to a place where the the demons of the Overlook, or in this case, uh, the ground that the Overlook was, was built on or something, um, are going to somehow come back. Now, I'll, I'll be surprised if that doesn't happen and they don't actually, he doesn't actually end up going there um, because it's established as like it's a campground now, which um, felt to me like he has to go there. But, but, you know, maybe I'm wrong. So I have a prediction and I'd love to give it now, but I feel like we should give all the context of this half and then I can make the prediction at the end. Right, because there may be some people who are curious enough to listen to this, even though they haven't read the book or seen the movie yet. So for them, just in case, let's uh, let's introduce some of the other characters here. The other main plot line of this book is all about a character named Abra Stone. So in the meantime, Abra Stone, a baby girl born in 2001, begins to manifest psychic powers of her own when she seemingly predicts the 9-11 attacks. She slowly and unintentionally establishes a telepathic bond with Dan. As she grows, the contact becomes more conscious and voluntary, and her shining grows stronger than his. One night, Abra psychically witnesses the ritual torture and murder of a boy by the True Knot, a group of quasi-immortals, many of which possess their own shine abilities, who wander across the United States and periodically feed on steam, a psychic essence produced when people who possess the shining die in pain. The True Knot's leader, Rose the Hat, becomes aware of Abra's existence and formulates a plan to kidnap Abra and keep her alive so she can produce a limitless supply of steam. Ooh, okay. That was so everything. a lot there. <laughs> Whoa. Right? talk a little bit about abra maybe maybe start when she was a baby yeah let's start with abra. interesting stuff there, as soon right? as as soon as it said that she was born in 2001 it's so crazy how ingrained in society 2001 is with with 9-11 yeah. attacks and so like i'm like immediately i was like wow 9-11 like that's what what i think of with from 2001 and for it to come back around and her be like upset uh as a baby just like couldn't can't stop crying and all this stuff and be yeah the there was uh the, the parents had dreams each parent had a dream in which the baby had like a number and was like crying uh, in a different location. And then they woke up and, and the numbers ended up corresponding to the flight numbers. So, uh, you know, a sort of chilling predictive ability of just this infant was able to convey convey this to them. Yeah. And so like that continues forward and, and 
she's she is more powerful than Danny currently and yeah. i think it's kind of talked about it's like maybe as when you're younger you're stronger with with the shine and like as as it right. as you get older it kind of starts to go away some but uh, or change at least or change yeah and it's interesting that danny is still as powerful as he is at, at his age for that reason yeah, but his is different now He's, yeah he even says his it behaves differently now yeah he's starting to realize like there are, there are larger forces than himself out there because he dick halloran always talked about how powerful you know, he could have killed Dick Halloran if he had if he had not pulled off. He was sending him a message telepathically, and if he hadn't pulled it off, he yeah. could have killed him. And just thinking that like Abra's in the same situation now, I think um, he can really or even to more that. so because she's she even amazes him with how powerful she is, right? Right. So yeah, she's she's the supremely powerful shine. Um, you know, it's funny because I keep thinking of a project we haven't even covered, but like Carrie must have had. The shining about power, right? Like she had some of this telekinesis that we're seeing that 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 Abra has. Um, I was reminded of Carrie. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, I haven't read it in a long time. Actually, I've never read it, but I haven't seen it in a long time. But yeah, I, I've never read it. Haven't seen it in a long time either. Yeah, but I, I'm assuming that that has to be what's going on there. Yeah, whether whether it's known by any of the characters or not, because it's the Stephen King universe thing. It's it's in the skew. Skew. <laughs> We we're gonna get the, we're gonna have to so we're gonna have to get a uh, <laughs> trademark on that. <laughs> oh man. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. So we see some of the childhood of Abra. We follow her. She lives with her parents and her uh, Momo, her grandmother. Great grandmother. Um, great grandmother. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and we see a lot of the kind of like weird things that happen as she's growing up and the way her parents do kind of know that she's special and she has this predictive power um, to some extent. Um, and then it starts to fade or change over time a little bit. And they kind of start to forget about it at least a little bit. Um, we see it. There's At one point, she, she legit floats a bunch of spoons in the air at a birthday <laughs> yeah. party. So like they know like she's got powers for sure. Yeah. Um, I think they like wishful thinking wise. I think at least uh, the father is is hoping that it's maybe not as uh, present anymore. because I think they do get that advice early on that like it could it could fade with time. Right. Um. But I we got to talk a little bit about the true knot because we actually get the true knot in the opening. Um. Because we get the true knot when they um are are recruiting a woman named um Andy. I believe it is Andy the rattlesnake who is a victim of abuse and and rape and then. We meet her. She's like brutally uh, killing people and and um, robbing them and and uh, mutilating them and stuff like that. And um, she ends up getting taken taken in by Rose the Hat and this group of uh, of the True Knot. And we we meet them. And this is to me the most dark fantasy element um, because they are very vampiric. In some senses, um, they seem like they're they're feeding on a particular kind of thing. The steam is this like essence let out by people with the shining as they die, um, but it keeps them young. Um, they have a lot of power. They have a lot of knowledge. Um, so in a sense, it's kind of like a caravan of vampires. I, don't I mean, know, I in a think certain it's sense, you know, I think it's like almost blatantly vampires. Like I think I think even yeah. a character. I think Abra even says something about. Uh, vampires at some point uh because yeah. they come in contact in some way but well she, yeah at the end she she makes a comparison to twilight <laughs> oh right yeah <laughs> Which I thought was exactly. really funny she's like oh it's like the ones from twilight <laughs> and he's like not quite like that yeah um but i actually love that it reminds me I, re- I read once that uh stephen king will often go out and read ultra bestsellers so he's read like all the harry potters and he has read twilight um and he considers it 
he considers it part of his job to like stay on top of all these like mega bestsellers and be aware of what's what's out there. And uh, I, it's interesting that like it made it into his book. Like he's referencing Twilight in this novel. Yeah, I think that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that this is um, if if someone's gonna be frustrated with this being more dark fantasy than The Shining was, it's because of some of this true not stuff. Um, doesn't bother me. I like dark fantasy. I like horror. I'm fine if you blend the two. Um, you know, it's it's different. So in that sense, I can see maybe some frustration, but um, I like it. For a little while there, I started to feel like we were getting into like some powers uh, sort of like like each. I mean, I think we still are actually, but like each person yeah. is able to manipulate the, the shine in a different way. Yeah, and, it's kind of like magic, right? right? Like they're all just <laughs> using magic at this point. Like this person's good at putting yeah. people to sleep and this person's good at this and this person. So it's like everybody's got their own skills and it's becoming like the superhero yeah. thing where like everybody. So that's what I think could bother some people. Right. I think it could. Yeah. Did it bother you? No, it didn't bother me. But and like, but I'm not going into, I don't know. I, I'm not going to go into a story and just because it's not what I was expecting, not like it. You know what I mean? Like I, if I'm enjoying well, the story. In, in defense of, uh, of people who may be frustrated with it. Um, it does sort of define things in a way that you could say that in The Shining, it was all so ambiguous and ill-defined that it was scarier. And in a way, the way that you're sort of pinning a lot of this down and defining the parameters of it in a lot of ways, that it, it's uh, and, and making it seem kind of like a system of magic almost, that it, it maybe is taking away some of that mystery. I mean, I, and I understand that. I mean, you're basically just talking about, like, in Star Wars, talking about midichlorians, and it's like, people... people. <laughs> well, he doesn't introduce any midichlorians, thank God. But there's steam, and there's the shine, he's explaining things, and I know people... Yeah, but it's not in your... It's not It's not like a, a particle in your blood. <laughs> right. But it is measurable. Like, like, she clearly is stronger. Like, this person's stronger than this person, and I don't know. Right. Like obviously it's You're not it's not force, really yeah. like that, You're but right. in terms of like in terms of revealing the mystery, like I do understand people potentially being upset with that, but I, I don't know. I don't think that it's like like you said before, like I don't think you can be like, "Oh, well now it's completely ruined the shining for me." Just I I just yeah. like to think of them as, you know, two parts to the same story, and if you don't like the second part quite as much, then just go reread the first part. Yeah. We've talked about in the past how both of us are more in the camp of people who can like let the original still be amazing and not let sequels take that shine off you know yeah uh-huh. shine shine anyway um <laughs> um so we got rose the hat who is herself quite an interesting character um i, I don't think we know h- how old exactly she is but um she has this like top hat that she's always at like a funny angle on her head she is at both times like intimidating and sexy and um later is described having like a single tooth when abra sees her as this like tusk kind of reminds me of like some also disturbing like pennywise seeing like penny real pennywise you know whether Uh like you know just like just this idea that something like looks a certain way and then and then when you know you turn or you turn around and look back and it's like oh it's got one tooth and seems a little different so you can see with the true knot so it's this group they travel in RVs and they're they're because they're seemingly older like they seem like they're a lot older but they keep taking in yeah. the steam like from retirees. people so it's like the people who have the shine they if they die in pain they give off the steam and they feed on that and they they use that to stay younger um i was i was seeing older people retired people cruising around the highways on my <laughs> on my road trips and i would see them yeah. in rest stops traveling in packs not talking to anybody else and just as stephen king described and i just thought it, i was getting really tickled by that i was like this is so funny but did they have dogs 
because apparently that's the way you can tell because the true knot does not have any dogs yeah i think for the most part they, i was seeing people like walking into rest areas and stuff so they were leaving well, their dogs they were probably vampires Vampire. so. i think they probably were <laughs> i know they were trying to feed on my shine but <laughs> well we we already established you have a little bit of that right yeah tiny bit just the most small the smallest amount you could have a twinkle what is it he calls it yeah glimmer yeah um but yes i also thought it was really interesting that they talked about how th- as a group they all went to uh to be physically at uh you know when when the when the world trade center went down in 2001 they went there to harvest now is that um do you find that to be um like is that too soon to be using that in the story this way or are you okay with it i mean i think that i would be it would definitely strike me differently if i knew someone and i was close to someone who i lost in 911 but personally yeah. like it doesn't it, um no it didn't it, I, I mean it like i understood like it just kind of i didn't miss a beat really i just read it and i was like that yeah. makes sense and within the, what he set up and i could I see how i had it could a little bit little... of a twinge of like oh wow he's going there right you know what i mean because right. like oh he's he's using 911 in this story you know what i mean like it very now but but if if you set up the premise that they go around and they harvest you know when people die and and on mass like it, you have to reference 911 if they're in America over you know what i mean and the time frame you have to yeah um and so ultimately like while i wouldn't it, like i would totally understand like you said like if somebody had a really personal connection and they found that that they didn't like that you know what i mean like i think that's totally valid um but for me um it it, it he he did it for a particular reason that i think was effective and in that sense, I think it worked for me. If you're talking about abuse, you're talking about rape, you're talking about um, addiction, you're talking about a lot of like heavy hitting, potentially triggering topics, like Stephen King often does. Um, the fact that he touched it on 9-11 to me uh, was just kind of in keeping with the whole. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So so we get this situation that happens with, with the true knot. And, and so like Abra's coming into her powers and she eventually like, the, it makes contact with with um rose the hat and it's this really interesting situation where like uh because she's so powerful she's able to force her out and it was kind of distorting reality and there's like this she talks about like this turntable situation um mm-hmm. all of that i found to be really interesting and i'll be really interested to see how they how they show that on uh, in the film if 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 they are able to but uh yeah it, it's she's able to force her out just in time so that she doesn't know where she is or what she looks like or anything. But, um, that's some powerful shining going on, right? Like she's, she can transport like into other people's consciousness and make, take like watch through their eyes and stuff. And well, and Rose, the hat is threatened by it. She says like in all of her years, this has never happened to her. And so much so that she won't even entertain the idea of actually making like trying to recruit her to become a part, even though it seems like she'd be this valuable asset because she's too threatened by that power. And she's worried that she'd like become the leader and she can't give that up. Right. Um, And then I thought it was really interesting that she immediately started thinking of like Ahab and how she had found her white whale and how she needed to go hunt the white whale. Um, I thought it was really interesting, but then I also thought it was funny that she didn't, she didn't go, she didn't take it all the way. She didn't right. follow that metaphor down the road of like, spoiler alert, that did not end well for Ahab. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't think you should be aspiring to be Ahab with the white whale. <laughs> you right. Know? Yeah, that's pretty funny. Uh, this, this situation kind of makes Abra real, like realize she needs help 
because she's like scared of them and realizes that like she she because she sees this kid get killed by them so they they've gone around and yeah. eventually like they they kind of shine kids and and like lure them know where they're going to be lure them into the van and take them and murder them and kill them in, in pain and take their steam uh she witnesses this happening to this little boy who plays baseball in some town and uh so she kind of puts the pieces together when she when she interacts with rose and realizes she needs help and she realizes that there's somebody she's been contacting since she was a baby since she was young and it turns out to be danny yeah yeah i mean it this 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 whole storyline works really well i think i love the way that it's parallel yet intersecting and then it it delays the meeting between danny and, and abra for so long that it builds up and to where when it finally happens like you're excited like oh they're finally meeting in person um, and then I love that they have to like do it in a way because they know that like people are going to like talk if they see this like older man and a young girl, um, meeting up alone to talk and like, that's not good. So he's constantly worried about this perception that, that he might be a, you know, pervert or something. So, yeah, I mean, rightfully good. so it stuff. is weird. Like he's emailing her and stuff and she, yeah. he's like, delete the hell out of this email, please. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, like, it's like, you can see like he, he really cares and he needs to be there for her because nobody else really can be at this point. So I, I have a question for you and I got this, I got the implication that this was what was happening, but I'm, I wanted to see if you got the same when they eat the steam of these dying people, are they eating their souls? In a sense that, like, their souls do not go on in the way that other souls do. Like, are they are they robbing them of the afterlife? That's a good question. I didn't really thought about that. I mean, I I didn't think so, but now that you bring it up, maybe because it's like it seems like uh, there was a line about something like that, right? Like somebody, yeah. Like, Something there was like a be, line. Oh, oh I, I remember what it was. Now it was it was like something like something happened with the boy that they killed, and it's like sticking with them or something. Do you remember that? Yeah. That's what it was. Like it's like it's like he's affecting them in some way. Whether it wasn't just yeah, like that he was turned a mysterious line. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but you're right. There's been a there's a couple of references that might back up this theory. I wonder if it'll be something that explores throughout. I, the reason that I was also connecting it is that we see Danny when um, these these patients die at hospice care he sees this like steam red steam come out of them and they are quote unquote rubes as the true nuts would call them so people without the shine yet he even they have this like mist that comes out of them so right. in that sense it's like saying that there's like a death mist and that death mist is maybe our our souls leaving our body and right. if they're eating that um, I could totally see the idea that maybe they're gathering up these souls and not letting them pass on or whatever, what have you, so they can sort of fuel their eternal youth. Um, I think yeah. it's cool. It's dark, but it's cool. Yeah. And I think that would make sense in terms of like stakes. Like it's not like he, they're, they're okay, but they're just killing him. But they're like, they're like actually having to stick around and be a part of whatever the, the true knot is doing. I did definitely want to talk about the, the scene with Halloran, uh, are we are we there inhabiting yet? the dead body <laughs> yeah yeah we got so talk about that. so we're we're here now basically like we, we one of the last things we get in this chapter is uh one of the elderly people that that is at the hospice center um is about to die and and she says some mysterious stuff about like the lights are going to turn off and stick around make sure you stick around and he does she she passes on and she, he sees that red or maybe he doesn't see the red mist yet but she does die he he feels that she's dead and then, like, he starts to see ghosts that he didn't see before. And, like, he starts to see a lot of things happening. And 
eventually like the door closes and opens and then like Halloran is like inhabiting her body and talking to him and like her, it's yeah. like literally Halloran because we we learn at some point in the story that Halloran passed away a long time yeah. ago uh and he's like inhabiting her body like answering questions and he has a lot of knowledge like yeah. it's like apparently like wherever he's gone to like heaven whatever like yeah. the afterlife Unclear. like he, but yeah he he is uh he's attained some knowledge that he wouldn't have known and he's not allowed and, to talk about it it seems like <laughs> and he's not allowed to talk about some of the stuff for sure yeah yeah it was really interesting right he gives a little bit he gives a little bit of uh advice he tells him that like you know you're gonna have to what does he say um pass it on like he paid you're forward gonna have to, kind of thing yeah you're gonna have to pass it on you're gonna have to pay pay your debt that's what he says you're gonna have to pay your yep. debt um and yeah, it's interesting, right? He's kind of giving him a task here a little bit and telling him, you're going to have to do what I did for you. You're going to have to help this girl out. And that's what we see Danny doing. Like, he's in the midst of starting to do that, right? And um, and that's, like, the last chapter we get. But it makes me wonder if, if Halloran had, had someone who told him to pass it on. I guess his 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 grandmother, I think, was the one who kind of yeah, talked to him about it. So maybe she it, had something to do about, about it, like, yeah. passing it down seems to be a tradition for the Shining stuff. So I got a couple just little bits here before we end this this section. Um, for one, I, there's a quote that I wrote down because I just loved it so much. Um, he says, "We're all dying. The world's just hospice with fresh air." Yeah, that was that was solid for <laughs> sure. I thought that was, I, I, you know, it left me thinking. I was definitely thinking about that. Good stuff. Uh, I also liked how Danny, uh, when he was interviewing for the job, has a moment where he calls the guy an officious prick. Do you remember that that was a very specific thing that Jack called the 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 first guy that he talked to when he was interviewing for the job? I, I think it's in the I, no, opening I, I chapter. Didn't, I didn't recall that, but like yep. now that you say that, it does sound familiar. Yep. Exactly wow. the, that phrase, officious prick, and I think that's not accidental that that he he used that same one. That could also be an indication that that like Jack Torrance is somehow sticking around, supernaturally haunting him. Right. I don't know, or maybe it could yeah. just be something he heard his dad say once. So it's hard to say. Um, now, there's also a part early on that um, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole a little bit here. There is a reference to Jungian psychology early on. He's talking about dream states uh, and describing like the moments before death and like entering this potential dream state. Right when you he talks about dreams within dreams and like waking up. Um, just how like sometimes I'll wake up and then he's not really awake. He's like a dream state and then he'll wake up again. Right and um. <laughs> I was pretty gobsmacked when I read that because I had just watched this video, um, which I'm going to have to send you now, about The Shining and tying it all to this Jungian psychology analysis about like the subconscious and dream states and how like everything in The Shining was tied to this um, is this guy's theory uh, um, on YouTube. And when I read this, I was like, ooh, this is like grist for the mill there because he's specifically calling out Jungian stuff, right? Um I don't know. It was pretty fascinating. I'll, I'll I'll link the I'll link the video in the show notes too, so that the listener can can see what I'm talking about. That sounds cool. Yeah, I'm interested to see that. It, it, I also wonder if it, he had read Doctor Sleep and said like, "All right, let me look into this and like kind of yeah. attach the things together." I mean, possibly I, I, this part isn't like this part doesn't lay out the theory. You know what I mean? Right. Like it just it does just mention it. Um, I think. In the video, he does mention the novel a little bit, but it seemed like it was much more of analysis of the movie. Okay. Um, so uh, I, I, I'll be curious, you know, to track that as we go forward. Um, and I also want to maybe we'll revisit it next episode because you, you'll have a, had a chance to watch it. Cool. Um, oh, we didn't talk about Tony at all. Oh, we got to talk about Tony, right? 
I still don't know who Tony is or what he is, but um, Abra starts talking with Tony, which is uh, Danny's invisible friend, obviously from The Shining, we all remember, and, you know, in the finger and everything. Um, but she thinks of Tony uh, as being, uh, she, she thinks of Dan, Dan as being Tony's dad. Uh, which I thought was really, really interesting, right? Like that, well, that Tony's like, this childlike figure to her. Yeah, it makes me wonder. Like, is some is Tony actually something that that Danny created in his with the shine? Is is it or is it like this is an entity that is going along and helping some of these people with the shine? And and that's what's unclear. And a lot of the Tony stuff is super creepy in The Shining. That's some of the creepiest parts, honestly, is this invisible friend who manifests and seems to have actual powers and no one else can see. But he also helps. Like, he helps Danny. But I think he he's a helpful helps. spirit for sure. Helpful. helpful but, energy. like, I think early on you're unclear whether or not he's helpful or, or a hindrance. Right. And it's also interesting that, that he's, like, manifested. If, Dan- if, if he is an entity, why is he still attached to Danny? And why hasn't he just gone straight to Abra? Why is Abra going through Danny to get to Tony? You know what I mean? All open questions that I I hope we'll get some answers for. Although um, that's always, a you know, because you're also defining things again that that used to be more mysterious. So you have to walk. It's a fine line. So I'm just gonna be curious to see what we actually get about about Tony as we go forward. Yeah. Um, So just like this is, you know, in closing here with this first half, I feel like I got to say like where I'm at. Um, We've had reference to and have actually also seen that the the True Knot are heading to Sidewinder. So right. and we know Sidewinder is close to is it, it it either is the city that the Overlook was in or it's next to. Yeah, I mean the the Overlook was out away from the city, but yeah, it's it's near it. I think it's the nearest town. And they go to the the the, the campground. Campground, that's right? Like in so, the same spot that they own apparently and like inhabit now. So I think that there's going to be some powers used in order to kind of like understand what happened there and maybe manifest some of the things that are there, maybe bring them along, weaponize some things. I think that that's how the Overlook is bringing Bob. Do you Uh, think the True Knot are coming to Abra and Dan or do you think Dan and Abra are going to the True Knot? So, okay, so my theory on what happens next isn't even really as much a theory as I know. I'm sure it's going to happen because like the last line is like Danny's going to help Abra complete what she wants to do. And it's go find the little boy's body that they that the true knot had buried. Right. But that Um, was in Iowa. Right. 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 So but that that's like, you know, a site that the true knot had been to. So I think that that's the next thing that's happening is they're going there for sure. And they're going to find the body. Something's going to happen. And I wonder if the conflict starts there, if they realize that Danny is a threat to the the true knot, whether they can like sense that he goes near it or whether something happens with that. I'm not sure. But I definitely think that um, I don't really feel like uh, Danny's going to go back to the, the, I think that it's going to stay. Cause how is, how is Abra going to get out there unless she's like kidnapped or something, which I guess could happen. So I think they're all going together. I think the parents are going to get involved. I think Abra and the, and, or at least the dad, I think are going because I have another theory that I'm going to put forward. And this is like, this is like, uh, you know, like calling a shot. And then like, if it, if it's right, it'd be astronomical. Cause it's, it's very obscure. But did you notice okay. that her father is a writer? And at one point, he's literally, like, typing, and she's worried about, like, interrupting him because he doesn't, like, he right. gets annoyed when she interrupts him. I yes. think the father's coming along, and then at some point, the father is going to get 
uh, Jack inhabited Torrance. by Jack Torrance, the other, right, the a, other writer. I, mean, I feel like happens, that's a pretty logical <laughs> shot called, but... That'd be pretty cool, right? I, yeah, I could see that happening totally. <laughs> it probably won't, <laughs> but I was like, oh man, what if he starts typing, you know, all work is in, in no play makes Jack a dull boy. Although I think that's actually, that might just be a movie only thing, but still, the you know, he was definitely a writer and he was definitely... Uh, I actually don't remember. Do you remember if that was a movie only or book? I, I, unfortunately, the do two do blend together sometimes. For me. Yeah, they really do. I, I, dude, that's crazy. I, I, I would have told you that it was in the book until you said something, and now I feel like it. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, because I mean, like, there were, we're obviously encountering and encountering famous differences already. The Overlook being burned down in this. Uh, the the talk of the mallet. Um, the way Wendy's injuries were all like fractures and broken bones from being hit with the mallet. Um, a lot of these, a lot of these differences are already, um, you know, showing up. Um, so yeah, I can't remember that one specifically, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Maybe I'll look into that between episodes here. Um, all right, man. I think I've, I think we've, I almost said run out of steam, which would be uh, appropriate, (laughs) but, um, this has been, this has been a fun, uh, Halloween uh, project for us and it feels kind of like we're coming late because like it's halloween already and we're just getting started on this but um that is like i am someone who likes to read horror year round so i'm not you know what i mean like i'm fine you know like going on into november you know we'll probably do another horror project in a month or two um it's not something that i only do once a year so in that sense uh halloween is a year round thing i can celebrate <laughs> yeah i i just like the idea of of getting horror into year round as well and I, it is exciting to do something like this during i mean such a legendary project to have a sequel like this and to be covering yeah. it for halloween it does feel nice it's really cool. man and fingers crossed um, i hope this movie's good and you know obviously we're still we still got to finish this book and which i hope is good as well but uh man i hope this movie's good too yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. All right, so we wanted to thank one of our patrons, Annie P. Um, also, she let us know that she is starting up a podcast of her own. Um, the podcast is called Will You Still Love It Tomorrow? She's starting up with her husband where they revisit past uh, movies that they loved in, you know, in their past and they share them with each other and talk about them. Just starting now, but we encourage you to go check it out, give it a listen, and if you like it, subscribe. Um, she was really generous in, uh, she took some pictures of our, our bookmarks at Buckingham Palace and at like the London Bridge, I think, and, and like, or Tower Bridge. I don't know if that's different or not. Shows how little I know about London, <laughs> but, um, it was incredible. It was so cool that she did that. So we just wanted to give her, uh, her podcast, uh, a shout out. It is called, Will You Still Love It Tomorrow? Check it out. Yeah, that was so cool. I mean, those places I, I've been dying to go to for my entire life. So yeah, to right. see our to see our stuff over there, I was like, oh my god, this is so cool. Yeah, hopefully one day we'll be there in the flesh. <laughs> but yeah. it was a nice. Uh, it was a nice. Uh, if you can't quite be there in person, that was cool too. Um, oh, if you wanted to become a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash ink to film. We got bonus episodes on there. We got uh, reading announcements so that you can get a head uh, head start on the on our next project. We'll be releasing one of those soon. All kinds of good stuff on there, so check it out. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those at Ink to Film, and make sure to join the Council of Inklings. We post a lot of polls in there, and and any sort of adaptation news we find, we like to we like to keep everybody updated in there. So come yeah. get involved in the conversation. Well, yeah, we've been having some good discussions, uh, particularly some news of late involving uh, the the former showrunners for Game of Thrones and stuff that's been going on with them. Uh, so yeah, if you want to join that conversation, that's where it's happening at for, uh, for our podcast, at least. 
Um, and yeah, if you wanted to support the podcast and but you don't have any money or you just can't afford it right now, uh, leave us a rating and review on uh, whatever platform you use. It's very helpful. Helps us get the word out. Um, and beyond that, if you are a Stephen King fan and you like our Stephen King coverage, do us a favor. Do me a favor and tell some other Stephen King fans about us. You know, if you if you're a member of any places online where other Stephen King fans like to gather, let them know. Um, that's going to be the best way to get our podcast uh, out there, and it would be a huge help. Thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music, and thank you to Jennifer Delazana for providing our transcripts. All right, so we will be back next week for the second half of Dr. Sleep, but until then... Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.